for me, when I'm dealing with seasons of doubt uh, and, and wrestling with faith or things like that, I think creation itself is one of the, the greatest apologetics, one of the greatest defenses of the faith that there is. Um, creation itself is an apologetic. Uh, again, apologetic being like a, a defense of the faith, a defense for the reason uh, of belief and trust in God. God made creation, I think, the, one of the greatest apologetics to, to point the world to the reality of himself. You are listening to The Great Light Podcast, a resource aimed at building up the body of Christ and engaging the lost. This podcast is a production of Great Light Studios. For more information and resources, or to watch our films, go to greatlightstudios.com or find us on Facebook or YouTube. If you would like to support this program and the ministry of Great Light Studios, you can do so easily and securely through our website. There, you can also find both video and audio versions of the podcast. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, In the last uh, episode, we just focused on those first couple words, the first half of that verse, in the beginning, God. And so in this one, I'm going to finish up this this verse and, and talk about the creation. It says, God created in the beginning the heavens and the earth. And so what is the purpose of creation? Why did God uh, create everything? Why did he create the universe? And so I don't think we have all the answers to that, but uh, I think the Bible gives us some ideas and some um places to go to where we can kind of understand what God's heart was, what God's desire was, his goal was uh, with creation. First, I want to draw attention to to the fact that Jesus was in the beginning. John 1, where it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So there is was an eternal love-based relationship with the Father and the Son from eternity past. Jesus said in, in John 17, 5, he says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. So this is during Jesus's prayer uh, at the end of the Gospel of John. And, and so he's saying that he had glory in God's presence, in the presence of the Father, before the world existed. So Jesus and the Father, separate persons, somehow. Uh, good luck fully figuring how all this, all that works out. But Jesus existed with the Father, um, and He had glory with Him. Uh, he also says in John seventeen twenty four, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, that they may see the glory you gave me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So God is love. God's very nature is love. All the love that we see in creation, all the love that we see in people, the love that we see in the world is a, uh, uh, it's, it's indicating to us that there is this reality of love, I believe. I believe love, love itself, when we, if we talk about uh, the issue of apologetics and, and, and defending the faith, um, I think love itself, the existence of love and and this, uh, I think, arguably a universal recognition of this attribute 
of love being something that is good and kind of the ultimate uh, uh, quality uh, of character to seek after is to be loving. I think that all points to the existence of a source. Uh, there's got to be a source to that. Where's that coming from? What? What? Where did that idea, that concept of love even come from? Um, is it merely the product of uh, random uh, chance and, and natural naturalism? I, I don't think you can make sense of it um, going that direction. I think the only way you can make sense of, of things in the world that we see like love is uh, is God. I think he's the best explanation. And John, first John tells us that God is love. His very nature, the essence of who God is, what he's like is love. Um, and so, uh, Jesus being God, um, he is the beginning. He was in the beginning with God. Um, we kind of talked about that a little bit, uh, in the last episode, but there was this love relationship that has always existed. I think love has been, um, eternally, uh, it's been expressed e eternally from eternity past into eternity future, love will be expressed. Um, it was expressed uh, in this relationship with the Father and Son, and uh, all things uh, were made through him. John 1 tells us that, that Jesus made all things, and uh, the Father created all things through the Son. So again, I'm, I'm saying that to say that in the beginning, in, in this first verse of Genesis, I think if we begin to use other scriptures to unpack what's going on here, we see that Jesus is, is right here in the very first verse, uh, the very first couple words of Genesis 1. This is all uh, uh, going along with, with this idea that, that we kind of established in the last episode that all scripture is speaking about Jesus. I think the ultimate point, the ultimate story is about Jesus. It's not about us and our abilities to get to God, but it's about God's love and goodness and what he's done and, and wants to continue to do to reach out to us. So Jesus was in the beginning. We got that established. So why, why did God create? Uh, why did God need uh, the creation? Did he need the creation? I think that Acts uh, chapter 17 kind of answers this question. Uh, it says uh, in Acts 17, 24 to 25, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. God doesn't need us. I don't think he needed creation. I don't think he was lacking anything when he created. Um, so, if that's the case, then again, the question is, why Why did he create? Ultimately, I think one uh, uh, primary purpose of God creating in the beginning was because he wanted creation to declare his glory. He, he, he made the universe as an expression of himself. So a couple scriptures uh, that show that, Psalm 19, 1 through 6 um, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. So this is telling us that the heavens, the, the stars, the sky, the creation itself has speech, and it it, it 
it speaks to the fact that they don't have words. It says that there are no words, but their voice is, uh, there are no words and their voice is not heard. There's not an audible uh, voice going on. They don't have audible language, uh, but the creation, the sky, the stars, they're proclaiming without words. They're speaking without words. They're communicating something. And this is telling us that God created the universe. He created these things uh, in order to communicate things to, I think, ultimately to mankind about himself. Romans 8, uh, Romans 1, 18 through 20 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So God's invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature within creation are clearly perceived. Um, when you stop and think about this, this statement of Paul, this really is uh, very profound and um, incredible, really, when you stop and think about this, and you stop and think either this, this statement, this teaching of Paul right here is true or it's not. I think I see, I look around at the universe, uh, I, I look at the, the things all around me, the reality that I exist in, and I see that this is true. Like, like to me, the best explanation for reality around me is this. It falls in line with this, what this is, what this is telling me. And it's telling me that, again, God created everything around us to speak to to uh, to proclaim and communicate his invisible attributes. So the the personality of God, the attributes that make up the the goodness and the glory of who he is. These attributes of God, what he's like, he has embedded into creation itself, into the created order, into the way reality functions, the 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 laws that govern our our universe. Within that. I think he's he's put within that communication about who he is and what he's like. And I think that's what Romans 1 is saying. I think that's what Psalm 19 is saying. So one more, Isaiah 40, 21 through 22. Um, going through this, there's, there's going to be quite a few uh, scriptures we're looking at. Um, and so just a side point, if you're listening on a podcast, I'm... Uh, I know we've said this before, but there are video versions that you can follow along if it's helpful for you to see the scriptures that we got pulled up on screen. Um, there are video versions on the Great Light Studios YouTube channel. So anyways, Isaiah 40, 21 through 22, it says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the foundation of the earth? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. His dwellers are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. So, do you not know? Have you not heard? These are rhetorical questions. Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the foundation of the earth? So, Isaiah is, is basically asking these rhetorical questions, saying, God has made himself known. God has caused humanity to hear to hear, not with the physical ear, but to hear with, with the heart, with the mind, um, to perceive with the reality around us. What these scriptures are saying is that God has made himself 
known. He's made himself evident. Again, the rhetorical question, have you not understood since the foundation of the earth? So God created the earth, uh, the very creation of the earth. The purpose of it was that so that man could understand things about God. The way God established the earth and, and made reality was such that it would speak to humanity and cause them to have the ability to understand that there is a God, there's a creator, he's good, and, and I should submit to him. So God brought forth the heavens, the earth, and all physical reality as an expression of his glorious and perfect character. Much like an artist creates art in order to express himself in ways that words cannot accomplish, so God made creation to express the realities of who he is. We can examine the created world around us and understand truth about who God is. All of creation was meant to be a visible expression of the invisible qualities of God's nature, his goodness, love, faithfulness, holiness, etc. Creation was meant to declare or to speak about the truth of who God is so that we will humbly turn to him and trust and submit our lives to him as our creator and Lord. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Why did this God create? I think these these scriptures are giving us probably not the full picture, but I think it's giving us a really good idea of the, one of the primary reasons that God uh, uh, made the world, made everything that we see, made this reality that we live in. Um, it was so that it could speak about himself. Um, this earth we live in, again, it, it speaks. If you look around, when you wake up in the morning, when, you, when you're going about your day, I think to those who have ears to hear and eyes to see, um, you can see and perceive the attributes of God. And I think that's, that's one of the primary purposes of, of creation. So I want to get into some specifics about creation. And I think this is, this is was kind of a really fun thing for me to stop and, and think about. Um, just to stop and think about creation, what I see in reality, and, and when I stop and think about those things, what do those tell me about the reality I'm living in? What do they tell me about God? Um, to me, this is like, for, for me, when I'm dealing with seasons of doubt, uh, and, and wrestling with faith or things like that, I think creation itself is one of the, the greatest apologetics, one of the greatest defenses of the faith that there is. Um, creation itself is an apologetic. Uh, again, apologetic being like a, a defense of the faith, a defense for the reason uh, of belief and trust in God. God made creation, I think, the, one of the greatest apologetics to, to point the world to the reality of himself and to ultimately, I think what it does is it, it, it can, I believe what God has spoken in creation can allow men to respond uh, to him in humility and faith. And so again, though, I want to get into some specifics as I stop and, and think about um, things in reality that I see that I feel like point me to God. And even before I was planning this video, I, I feel like I kind of consistently will think about different things that I see in reality that will cause me to think, man, that that is a great example of, of something that exists in reality that points me to God. So all that might be confusing, but I'm going to give you some specific examples of what I mean. Um, light and darkness, I think, is a great example of that. The, the existence of light 
and darkness in this world. So light and darkness, I think, speaks of the reality of goodness, of which God is the source. So goodness would obviously be equated to light and evil, which is the absence of God. The existence of moral good and evil, I believe, are as self-evident as the existence of physical light and darkness. So this is something I've just been kind of thinking about lately. Like when I see light and darkness in reality, and, and darkness is just kind of naturally associated with negative, that which is negative, that which is that which is bad, not good, scary. Light is always uh, uh, associated with that which is good and positive and right and true. And sometimes I just stop and think like, why is that? Why is that the way our reality is? And this might be this might be getting kind of deep. I don't know, but these are just the things I think about. And I think. Um, the existence of, again, like I uh, like this says, like I wrote in here, the existence of physical light and darkness, I see those, I can perceive light and darkness with, with my eyes. Um, but I think we can perceive uh, and, and the existence of things that are morally good or light and morally bad or dark, those, the existence of those things I think is as self-evident as the existence of light. It's just kind of assumed in the world uh, uh, by most uh, anyways, that there is there, there are these moral uh, truths. There are, there are these standards and, and there's debate about where these standards come from, but I think God has to be the source or you can't make sense of it. But I think light and darkness uh, speaks about those realities. It speaks that there is there is this reality of, you know, we see the physical reality of light and darkness. I think what that tells us, if we have ears to hear, eyes to see, is that there's the, there is an existence that those point to of spiritual light and darkness, which again is something Jesus emphasized a lot and the Bible emphasizes a lot. So darkness is the polar opposite of brightness and is understood as a lack of illumination or an absence of visible light. So I don't, I don't know if you've heard that before, but that seems to kind of point to something to me, and it seems to line up with what Scripture reveals about who God is. Um, God himself is light. He is the very source of light. And any disconnection from him, any lack, any lack of God is to lack true light. So when you, when you remove illumination, from from a, 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 a place is going to cause darkness. And I think in the same way, when you remove God, when you remove his presence, when you, you remove relationship with him, it causes spiritual darkness, moral darkness. Um, so I think this points both to the reality of God's existence, as well as the fact that he himself is the source of all light and moral good. I'm not saying that this is some kind of like absolute um, um, irrefutable proof and evidence of God's existence. That's not the point. I'm just saying for me personally, uh, I think this is a very uh, good indication to me of the existence of God and the reality of what the scripture tells me about who he is and, uh, and yeah, this reality around me, that there is real spiritual light and darkness just as there is uh, physical light and darkness. So 1 John 1.5, it says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So when I see light and darkness, I think when you see light and darkness, these things I think can be um, reminders. I believe God 
made it this way as a physical representation of spiritual realities, of the, of the reality of who he is, that he himself is light. And apart from him, there's uh, only darkness and there's no darkness in God at all. Another example I thought about is just the, the size and expanse of the universe. I believe um, another thing that you can look around in reality and see and perceive that I think points to God and, and serves as an example of, of things that God created that are spoken of, like in Romans 1, Psalm 19, that communicate to us something about the attributes of God. So the size and the expanse of the universe I think that the sheer size of the universe that we exist in, the number of planets, stars, and galaxies speaks of the expanse and size of God and his power and glory. The Bible even uses the size of the universe to communicate to us the size of God's wisdom as well as his faithfulness and love for us. So again, Psalm 19, 1 through 4, um, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. I think other... Other translations might say they, the skies proclaim his handiwork. So, so just the vast size of the universe, it's incomprehensible. When we look at that, I think that, that uh, is meant to point us to the size of God's wisdom, the size of God's power, just how big he is. The size of the universe, again, speaks also of the, the size of God's love, the size of his faithfulness. And the Bible uses that uh, as an example, regularly. So Psalm 36, 5, it says, Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Uh, Psalm 103, 11 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving devotion for those who fear him. Psalm 108, 4, For your loving devotion is higher than the heavens, and your truth reaches to the skies. So when we look out, at night or, or during the day, whenever we look at the, just the, the sheer size of space, the, the, the distance between earth and the, the heavens, uh, the, the, the size of space around us in the universe, these should serve as encouraging reminders day after day uh, of the size of God's faithfulness and love. The, the depth and the height and the width of, of how big God's love is. It's, it's never ending. It, it's never failing. It's never changing. It's, it, you can't reach the end of it. And I think that's what the Psalms are kind of getting at here when they use the size of the heavens as an illustration of the size of God's love and faithfulness to us. And that should be, uh, yeah, what an encouragement and what a an encouragement just to, to find peace and rest in God and, and to worship him. Another example that we see in the universe is just the fine tuning of the universe. Uh, the, the detail that, that goes into the laws that make up how our reality function. And I'm not a scientist, so I'm not going to get into all these things, but there's a lot of good, uh, material out there that talk about, you know, just the, the, the exact measurement of space that can be between the sun and the earth so that the earth isn't too cold and it's not too hot, uh, uh, the exact amount of gravity, uh, all, all these different laws that are in place in the universe that are just seemingly fine-tuned. And uh, even, you know, uh, popular atheists will, will speak about how there is an apparent fine-tuning um, behind the universe. And, and I just, I, to me, it's just like, 
Romans 1. That's Romans 1. I just, to me, that's the best explanation um, for why the universe is just so skillfully constructed in a way that it, it just works like such a, a fine-tuned machine. Proverbs 3.19, it says, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. And so I think that the fine-tuning of the universe reveals God's wisdom and his unfathomable skill as a creator, as well as the fact that he is a God of order and organization. Um, he's a God of order. And uh, Jeremiah 10, 12, it says, God made the earth by his power. He established the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. So when we see the fine tuning the uh, yeah of the universe, I think that should point us to just the wisdom of God, how skillful he is, and how, uh, again, just his power of control over all things. Another example that we see that it, it, it's, it's with us every day, uh, an example in creation of the attributes of God is the rising and setting of the sun. The Bible consistently draws our attention to the faithfulness of the sun's rising and setting to assure us of the faithfulness of God's goodness in our own lives. So the sun rises every day. It sets every day. It's going to do it tonight, um, and it'll do it tomorrow and the next day, and it's been doing it throughout history um, until Christ comes back, and then he'll do whatever he wants with the sun. Uh, but the Bible tells us that the, the faithfulness of the rising of the sun is uh, is really a picture. That's not that's not the ultimate reality. That's actually something that's pointing to an ultimate reality of faithfulness, which is God and His faithfulness. So, an example uh, in the Bible, Psalm thirty-seven five through six, uh, it says, "Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness like the dawn, your justice like the noonday sun." And so in the midst of our difficult times, what trials, struggles, whatever they are, we can look at, at the, the sun within creation. We can look at uh, the rising of the sun and know that as faithful as the sun is to rise every day, God is more faithful. God, that, that's, a, that's a comparison of the faithfulness of God. You can take it to the bank that the sun will rise, and you can take it to the bank that for those who look to the Lord, who put their trust and hope in him, he will bring forth your righteousness and your justice as the noonday sun. Um, God will come through in every situation for those who rest in him and, and look to him and hope in him. Hosea 6, 1 through 3 says, "'Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us to pieces.'" but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his presence. So let us know, let us press on to know, to know the Lord. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the rain, like the spring showers that water the earth. So press on to know the Lord. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. So this is something a couple episodes I talked about, just about in the middle of being in, in trials and in times of darkness, press on to know the Lord, press on through trials and struggles. And as surely as you can look out every morning and see the sunrise, um, just as sure as that, you can know that God will appear in your situation. He will appear and he will bring comfort. He will bring help. He'll bring inner strength and hope. 
um, because he is as faithful as the rising of the sun. The, the last kind of example I want to talk about is just the just seeing God's love, like looking around at, at the reality uh, that we see and, and discovering God's love and how the Bible points us to seeing God's love um, in creation. So the provision we see in creation of rain and clothing for flowers, food for birds, and even the rain falling on both the good and evil communicates to us the existence of a loving God who delights in and is passionate about providing and tenderly caring for all of his creation. These things express the unconditional love of God and his compassion toward all he has made. So Matthew 6, 25 through 33, Jesus' words, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? Consider how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his glory was clothed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore don't worry, saying, What shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles or those who don't know God, they strive after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God uh, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So you all know that verse probably, that, that passage. But it's again, it's Jesus drawing attention to creation. It's Jesus drawing attention to the way things function in creation. In creation, we see birds having the provision of, of food. We see grass being rained upon to cause it to grow. And we see flowers given what they need to be beautiful and to, to be clothed is what Jesus says. And so again, this is a, an example, I think, that you can look in creation and you can see evidence of a loving God who uh, provides and is passionate about providing for his uh, creation. So it points to God's love. And then Matthew 5, 44 through 45, it says, Jesus says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, uh, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So even on the evil, God sends rain. Again, Jesus is calling attention to that which we see in creation uh, to point us to the character of God. Uh, Psalm 145, 8 through 9 uh, says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love and loving devotion. The Lord is good to all. His compassion rests on all he has made. So if we look around in creation and if we have eyes to see, I think what Jesus is telling us, and I think what is here lining up with Romans 1, is that what we will see in creation, again, if we have eyes to see, is, is the attribute of God's love, the attribute of God's creation. Um or God's, God's compassion and, and mercy and provision for his creation. So kind of a side note on that um, before I end is, is from that, my immediate thought is, and my, my own um, uh, apprehension to that, or what I would question about that is what about, what about the evil in creation? What about all the bad that we see in creation? Um, and so that's obviously, uh, that's going to be something for another episode. I don't want to dig in too deep there. 
But um, I do think ultimately the fact that you see, you know, Jesus on the one hand is saying he provides, that God provides for all of our needs, but sometimes you see people that don't really have everything they need. Um, Sometimes flowers get trampled on. Sometimes birds starve to death, you know, things like that. And so what do you, how do you mesh those two things together? Um, I don't think we're going to solve that problem in this episode and, and probably won't even get into it too much. I, I mostly just wanted to acknowledge um, that I, I understand there is a problem. There's a bit of a dilemma there. I think that there are good answers for and solutions. And so what I think is that ultimately seeing bad things in the world, seeing things that aren't right, seeing things that um, um, birds that aren't provided for people, more than that, people that aren't don't have what they need and die and starve and, and whatnot. Ultimately, I think this tells us that there is something that has gone wrong in God's creation. Uh, the evil we see does not reflect anything about the character of God, but rather shows us what happens when a disconnection from the perfect goodness of God takes place. Um, so it's it kind of, I guess, <clears throat> would go back maybe to the light and darkness example, where darkness is the absence of light. So when we see when we when we see what God's creation was intended to be, he says, you know, it it is good. It was good. God created everything good. I believe that. I believe that the way he made things uh was uh to to function in the way that no evil or darkness or or chaos or or pain or suffering would exist. I don't think any of that existed in his original creation, his original that was in his original intention for creation. That happened when darkness entered into the situation, when something happened to cause the light of God to be withdrawn. And so I think when we look around the world and we see evil, we see that which is bad. I think what it tells us is uh, there's something that has caused a disconnection from that which is the source of good, the ultimate source of that which is light and good. And yeah, I, I think... Again, this is probably getting into something that should be another episode, but to me, acknowledging that there are things wrong in the world, acknowledging that there is evil in the world, and and for somebody, especially somebody who doesn't have a faith in God, who doesn't believe in any sort of theistic idea of the universe, but has more of a natural, naturalistic perspective on, on this world, for them to acknowledge the existence of something that is morally evil or bad, to me, again, goes right back to Romans 1 and tells me there's something in them that tells them that there's a standard of right and wrong that's not being kept, that there's this, somehow there's this ultimate standard of good and bad, of light and darkness, and and that standard is being broken and it bothers it bothers moral badness bothers even you know the hardest atheists uh well some of them um and so yeah I, to me that is just another indication that god has set up this world in such a way that that it's almost it's impossible to get away from the reality that he's there that this this reality that we're in is is more than just what we see. There's something more that's caused it. There's something more behind it. Uh, the fact that we can recognize that there is moral bad in the world, you kind of have to have the assumption within within that 
acknowledgement of there being bad in the world, that, that there's a standard of good. Well, if there's a standard of good in the world, where did this standard of good come from? Who's making that standard? What's making that standard? Um, if the earth and the universe came about by purely natural uh, uh, causes, um, random uh, uh, explosions and big bangs and um, uh, you know mindless processes of, of evolution, which I again I know I'm not an expert on any of those things, but but just the simple thought process of thinking through those things. Um, to me, it doesn't it doesn't mesh with the reality that I see because if that if that's the case, if that's how our reality came into existence by purely accidental natural causes, we're all just space dust formed uh, together, um, uh, and there's no purpose, there's no goal, there's no creator. <clears throat> I really really struggle to see how there's any foundation to acknowledge or recognize moral evil and moral good, moral darkness and moral light. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of, I wasn't planning on talking about all that, but I think it's, it's, it, it does, I think, really go along with all this. And I think it, um, those, the existence of, of that morality, that moral stand, standard that I think there's this universal, mostly a universal acknowledgement of Attributes that are good and right, attributes that are, are things that we should strive after, and attributes of evil that we should reject. And um, and so, yeah, I think I just think it's worth asking: Where did that come from? Why 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 is there that in the world? What's caused that? And if there is no God, what is what really is 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 there really any objective way to uphold those standards? So, all that I'm sure we'll talk more about. Um, <laughs> in the future. But to end, I think um, I want to read the next verse. And the the next verse in Genesis is what we'll talk about in the next episode. Um, So again, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So God created everything in the beginning. But then here, for some reason, the earth that he created it was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. Okay. This is something where there's again, another place in the Bible, big surprise where there's disagreements and there's different views on it and there's different interpretations. Um, I have a certain view of what's going on here that basically involves this being uh, a pointer to the fall of Satan or, or the, I think the the fall of uh, an, the angels and and what happened in in that in the spiritual realm, what took place, how that affected physical reality when that happened. Um, so that's something we'll talk about in the next episode, um, and then in the the following ones, we're gonna we're gonna get into um, more about Satan himself and just kind of um, I think something I've been stirred up to lately is just just the verse where Paul talks about not being unaware of the devil's schemes. I think the devil has many schemes against us. Um, and I think we see that obviously in the beginning of, of Genesis. And so we'll, we'll get into that in uh, future episodes. You have been listening to The Great Light Podcast. To find more information and resources or to watch our films, go to greatlightstudios.com 
or find us on Facebook and YouTube. If you want to support this program and partner with the Ministry of Great Light Studios, you can do so through our website. There you can also find both video and audio versions of this podcast.